to the Gospel of Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter number 24, Brother Barry read a section that that I could read again. I'm sure you got the message and that's not necessary. But right after that, we find our Lord meeting, meeting some men on the way to Emmaus. They traveled along the road. They know not that it is the Lord, and they engage in conversation with him. And verse 27 says, In beginning at Moses and all of the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the Scriptures? And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. All of the things that we need to remember, the gospel is at the top of the list. And we must never forget that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. We need to be able to define it. It's the death, the burial, and the resurrection according to the scriptures. And then we need to declare it. For some reason or another over the years, it seems like that we tend to neglect the importance of the resurrection. We hear, we hear a considerable amount about the cross, and we should. But then we tend to neglect the resurrection, and uh, the Bible says He was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. That's why it's important that we remember the resurrection. You see, it's not something that we that we hide in the background all year long until Easter time, and then we drag it out and celebrate it. You see, we celebrate the resurrection every Sunday. Every Sunday is Easter Sunday. We need to remember that. That is the very purpose of that day that we might remember that we serve a risen Savior. We ought to remember it regularly and with great rejoicing. As the songwriter said, and old Squire Parsons sang so well, Oh, what a morning. Oh, what a morning. Think about having been there. Keep in mind that as those people stand there at the tomb, guarded by Roman soldiers, it appears in their mind that all is lost. All of their dreams have been dashed to pieces. 
These men have invested everything they have in following Christ, and now it's all gone. Their spirit is as dark as the gloom in the tomb. And for three days and for three nights, they're overcome by grief, wondering what they're going to do now. The one they've depended upon for everything has been taken from them, and they're left alone to face a world that hates them. And no doubt they remember that the Lord Himself had warned them that you'll be hated and despised and you will be killed. And this is what they're facing. And in their mind, without the assistance of the one that meant everything to them, But oh, what a morning when they discovered that the stone had been rolled away and the tomb was empty and Jesus was gone. Wow. There's never been a morning like that. That's a bit of history that can never be repeated. It's something that that is of the greatest importance to us. Raised again for our justification. This morning I want you to remember the resurrection. I want you to remember the reality of it, first of all. Notice what he says in verse number 34. It says, The Lord is risen indeed. Notice that word, indeed. A lot of times you hear that verse and And all we hear is the Lord is risen, and that is wonderful. But when it says indeed, that means really. In other words, it's not an hallucination as some people claim. It's not a hoax as some people believe. You see, it's not a secret plot. It's not a misunderstanding. This is something that actually happened, and there's plenty of proof that assures us of that fact. It happened at a time when it seemed like that Satan had won. It happened at a time when it seemed like, at least to them, that everything was lost, that there was nothing to live for. It happened at a time when there appeared to be no hope whatsoever. It happened although it seemed to be impossible. It happened although it was actually unexpected. It happened although efforts were made to prevent it. The Roman government set soldiers there to guard the tomb to make sure that this did not happen. It happened although it was denied. It happened just like Jesus promised. And we could just go on and on and on talking about the reality of the resurrection. But I want to shift your focus to something else. As I look out here on the congregation this morning, I cannot imagine anyone being here who does not believe that Jesus was raised from the grave. If you don't, why are you here? I can't imagine anyone being so foolish as to deny all of the evidence And say that he was not resurrected from the grave. 
I believe that you believe that he was raised from the grave. And if you don't, all of my clever arguments, all of the emotional appeals, I doubt would ever convince you otherwise. Because the evidence is there. So we see the reality. The Lord is risen indeed. But then we see also the reason why the Lord was resurrected. You might be surprised how many people believe in the resurrection. There's no doubt about that. They are convinced that the Lord was raised from the grave. They don't doubt that for one second. But they really don't understand why. And if we're ever going to realize the significance of the resurrection, we've got to understand why it was necessary for Jesus to be raised up from the grave. I mean, He died on the cross. He shed His blood. He's already paid the sacrifice for our sins. Why is it that He must be raised from the grave? You'll turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter number 1. We find that Paul deals with that very issue. And he knew that we need to know why it's important that Jesus was raised from the grave. Chapter 1 of the book of Romans in verse number 3 says, Concerning His Son Jesus Christ our Lord which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and, now notice, declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So you see, the first first reason that he needed to be raised from the dead is because the resurrection declares the person of Christ. By that, I mean that it is a declaration that He is who He claimed to be. He claimed to be the Son of God. That's who He is. And there's the evidence of it. Not only does it declare Him to be the Son of God... As I quoted a while ago from Romans chapter number 4, He was raised for our justification. You see, the resurrection is necessary because it delivers us from the penalty of sin. How is it that God can be just and the justifier of those that are guilty? How is that possible? Whenever I look at my record and think about the depths of the stain of sin on my soul and, and, and wonder how in the world is it possible that, that a holy God could ever forgive me for what I've done. Human effort certainly never could erase all of that blackness of sin But God had a plan, and the plan was that Jesus was to die on the cross and in the shedding of His blood pay my sin debt. But listen, what we need is life. And it was essential that Jesus be raised from the dead in order to deliver me from the penalty of sin. 
And in doing so, it not only declared the person of Christ and delivers us from the penalty of sin, it demonstrates the power of God. This is God putting His stamp of approval upon the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like God saying, I am satisfied. That's the evidence that you and I have that that our sin debt is satisfied in the sight of God, enabling God to be both just and also the justifier of those of us who have sinned. And we could talk for hours about the reason for it. But this morning I want to look in yet another direction, and I want to camp out here for the remainder of our time, and I want you to pitch your mental tent here and think about the result. We see the reality of it and the reason for it, but I want you this morning to think about the result of it, and I think this is the part of the resurrection message that gets overlooked so much time after time after time. We look at the historical fact, and we all agree in the reality that he was resurrected from the grave. We look into the Scripture and we can see the reason why he was raised from the grave. But then with all of that information, we still don't really understand how that ought to affect the way in which we live. People look at the resurrection in a lot of different ways. As I already mentioned, some think it was an hallucination. Built on expectancy. You know, they say, well, the disciples were expecting him and they hallucinated and they, they really thought and they had this vision of a resurrected Christ, but it really didn't happen. Well, there are several problems with that, but one problem is that they didn't even believe it was going to happen. They were confused about it. You remember whenever the Lord announced that He was going to Jerusalem and suffer many things, and there He was going to be crucified. And then He goes on and He says, and be raised again the third day. But Peter stopped listening after that crucified part and took hold of the Lord and tried to stop Him. He said, not so, Lord. We're not going to allow that to happen. We're not going to let them hurt you. The Lord said, get behind me, Satan, and he rebuked Peter that you don't know what you're talking about. You see, Peter had not a clue what was going on because he was so emotionally invested in this that all he could think about was the suffering of Christ and he lost sight of the resurrection of Christ. So some people, the resurrection means nothing more than a hallucination. Others say that it was a hoax. They claim, you know, that they just maybe bribed the guards there at the, at the tomb and paid off certain people to say that they had seen the Lord and they created this, this hoax. But others see it as a historical fact. They acknowledge the fact that indeed he was raised from the grave because we have all of this evidence. I'm talking about hundreds and hundreds of people that saw the Lord. Others look at the resurrection and they say, well, I believe that it happened and it was indeed a helpful miracle. 
And then we look at it and we say, yes, and it is the very heart of the gospel. And God forbid that we, that we ever forget that fact. It is the very heart of the gospel. There would be no salvation without it. But I want you this morning to think about the resurrection as a means of comfort, as a grounds for confidence, as a cause for courage. And I say that because the resurrection demonstrated the greatness of God's ability to defeat our enemies and deliver us from difficulty and danger. Never has there been a greater demonstration of God's mighty power than this. It simply shows us that God can do whatever needs to be done. He who has the power to raise the dead can meet your need, whatever it is. You see, we look at our Lord's life and we realize that every part of His life in some way bears testimony to God's great power. We think about uh, the veracity of God in keeping His promise, for example. 700 years before, God sent the old prophet Isaiah with a message to Israel saying, Behold, a virgin shall conceive. And so 700 years before Jesus was born, God was predicting that this was going to happen. And God can't lie. And we see the power of God, His ability to keep His promise in spite of everything else. We also see God's power in the virgin birth. I mean, how do you explain that? You don't explain it, you just accept it. We see it in the virtuous life of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see it in the visible miracles of Jesus How that he unstopped the ears of the deaf and gave sight to the blind and raised the dead and calmed the sea and on and on and on the list goes. And we see those demonstrations of the greatness of his power. And all of those who are verified and they have been recorded in the Holy Scriptures. We see the greatness of his power there in his vicarious death on the cross. But most of all and above all, we see the greatness of God's power in His victorious resurrection over the grave. The reason I want to put the greater emphasis on this aspect this morning is because, as Paul said, perilous times shall come. It means troublesome times, difficult times, dangerous times. And surely I don't need to convince anyone here this morning that we live in difficult times. Job said, man, this morning of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. And every person here this morning has trouble of some size and sort. The nature of our problems might be different. The number of our problems might be different. But we all have problems. We all have needs. That's why the Bible tells us that we are to keep looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of the faith. That we are to consider Him. Because you see, our focus on Him builds faith in Him. 
And it's faith in Him that gives us the ability to break free from the bondage of this world and to soar rather than sink. The reality of the resurrection resulted in the apostles being totally changed, transformed. You read the record and you see those men who were On one hand, so cowardly, those men who even denied they knew the Lord. And on the other hand, you see them as bold as lions. And even though they were beaten and imprisoned and they were threatened to not make mention of the name of Jesus anymore, they counted that as a badge of honor and continued on proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That change came as a direct result of them understanding the reality of the resurrection and that demonstration of God's power that if God can do that, then God can do this. They understood that whatever my need is, I have a God who is greater than that. They looked at the crucifixion and the resurrection and they were reminded that God had a purpose. That purpose was to redeem fallen man. And God had a plan. That plan included the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And also that God had the power to implement the plan and to bring about the finished product of His purpose. Now, whether you realize it or not, regardless of what you're going through, it might be a physical problem, it might be emotional turmoil, it might be domestic strife, it can be a thousand and one other things, but whatever it is that you're going through, whatever difficulty it is that you're facing, I want you to understand that God has a purpose, God has a plan, and God has the power to bring victory out of it. Nothing in your life is without purpose. I know that so many times that we don't understand why things happen. There are times when it makes absolutely no sense to us. We look at someone like Brother Ron who loves the Lord and is faithful to God and is so dedicated to, to the Lord's church here and we Wonder to ourselves, why in the world would God let anything bad happen to him? We can't understand that, but I'm telling you there's a purpose in that. You say, well, what is it? I don't know. And I don't need to know, and neither do you. You see, that's where we get ourselves all twisted in knots and get confused and frustrated and worried. We keep trying to find out the reason when all we need to know is there is a reason. That God has a purpose. These people that exhaust themselves trying to find out why in the world would God, with all of His knowledge, knowing what they were going to do, why did God allow Adam and Eve to sin? Let me ask you, is that any of your business? What difference does it make? God had, listen, God had a purpose and God had a plan to fulfill that purpose. 
And God has the power to bring about the ultimate desire. I've often said the most important thing for us as Christian people is to realize who we are and what we have in Christ. And the reason we don't cope well, the reason we don't deal well with our difficulties is the fact that we, we forget about that. We forget about who we are and what we have. We listen to the voice of the world and we start thinking to ourselves, I deserve more and bigger and better and this is not fair what I'm going through. And so we get all bent out of shape as a result of that. We worry and we fret and we complain. And in reality... If we have the proper view, we realize that we're just a sinner saved by grace and that we do not deserve anything. If God struck every one of us dead right now, He would not be unjust in doing so. And if we don't deserve anything, then we ought not to complain about things. Realizing I don't deserve anything and realizing who I am in Christ. Who am I? Well, because of Jesus, I, listen, I am a child of God, a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who I am. And living in the light of that, I begin to realize that that although I don't deserve anything, that God has saved me, and God has not only saved me, God has made me into who I am, and I am a child of God, and God is a good Father, and God takes care of His own. Why am I worried about anything when God is the perfect Father, and I am His child? So who I am matters but also what I have in Christ. If I am a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ, then I am certainly in possession of something great. Think about that, a joint heir with Jesus. The Bible says there is laid up for us an inheritance. Wow. We can't even begin to imagine how glorious it's going to be when we enter into the fullness of our inheritance, can we? You know, we sing songs like, What a Day That Shall Be. But you see, we can only imagine now. And yet the Bible speaks about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the fact that the Holy Spirit, He is, listen, He is the surety. He is the assurance that we will one day receive the fullness. The first fruits have come, but we'll receive the fullness of our inheritance at a later time. Are you with me? Are you listening? Who we are and what we have, who we are. We are a child of God, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. He's our elder brother. 
God is our Father. The Holy Spirit is our helper. Heaven is our home. That's who we are. But what do we have? Well, we're going to have an inheritance, but no, no. What do we have? In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul was praying for the church there at Ephesus. He was praying that the eyes of their understanding might be opened, that they would become aware of what they had in Christ. And he says in verse number 19, And what is that exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe according to the working of His mighty power which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. You see, we read about the power of God, and we talk about the power of God, and we sing about the power of God. We thrill about it, but sometimes we fail to understand how it operates in our life. We face all of these difficulties, that, and some of you right now are wrestling with things that you have no idea how you're going to get through this. It just seems to be overwhelming. You feel like the disciples standing there, you know, at the tomb that is sealed with the Roman soldiers, and all of your hopes and all of your dreams are sealed in that tomb. And all is darkness and despair, and for the life of you, you cannot figure out how in the world you're going to deal with this problem you're going through. All seems to be lost. But notice what Paul said for the Ephesians. He said, I want the eyes of your understanding to be open. In other words, I want you to understand who you are and what you have in Christ. And what, listen, what you have in Christ is this. The same Spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead is in you. You see, the very moment that God saves you, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life. That's the thing that makes the change. Becoming different as a Christian is not about you and I trying harder, getting better, because we're not the change agent. The change agent is the Spirit of God who is at work within us. And notice, he speaks here about his exceeding greatness. That, that, that means something that is immeasurable. And he says it's working. That means it is effectual. But notice, he describes this power as mighty. To usward who believe. The same Spirit, that same mighty power of God that raised up Jesus from the dead is living within you. And I want you to leave here today understanding that there's absolutely not a problem in your life that God can't solve. There's not a need that God can't meet. I'm not going to say that he'll do anything you want him to do. That's not the point. The point is that God is able, the potential is there 
And the most important thing in our life is for the will of God to be done. I mean, if God just gave us a blank sheet of paper and said, Here, I want you to just put everything on there that you want, we'd all have one list. But listen, God's wiser than we are. So I keep saying that if we were as wise as God, we would want for ourselves exactly what God wants for us. We're a whole lot better off to let God fill in all of the blanks because He didn't make any mistakes. There's no reason for despair. Notice He said to, to, to those of us who believe, The only people that have reason for despair are those who are yet in their sins, those that have never received Christ as their Savior. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, let me tell you, you do have something to worry about. You're the only ones here that has anything to worry about, anything to be fearful of. But God has an answer for that too. And that answer is Jesus Christ who loved you so much that He gave His only begotten Son who died on the cross. He shed His precious blood. He paid your sin debt. And in spite of all that man and the devil could do to try to defeat Him, He got up out of the grave after three days and three nights. which is a guarantee for each and every one of you that He never fails to keep a promise. And Jesus said, He that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. If you'll come to Him this morning, He'll save you. He promised He would. He won't fail. You said, but but, but preacher, I, I don't understand it all. You know, I've got so many questions. That's all right. He didn't ask you to understand it all. He asked you to trust Him. Will you trust Him? After all He's done for you, will you trust Him this morning? You know, I I can't help but think, you know, that it, it might make it easier for some unbelievers to trust Him if the... If those of us who are believers started really living and acting like we really believed in the Lord and we'd stop all this worry and fretting and complaining and all of that, The Bible says the just shall live by faith. And maybe you're here this morning and you've been saved, but you've just been overwhelmed by all of your problems. And the only reason, the only reason that that has happened to you Oh, you say, but Brother Stone, if you you knew that wicked person I have to live with, or if you knew the greatness of my problem, the severity of my problem, you you wouldn't say that. You just don't understand. No, listen, I don't need to understand because it doesn't make any difference. Whatever you're going through, I know this, God's grace is sufficient. You have everything you need within you in the person of the Holy Spirit to enable you to get through anything that God brings you to. Trust Him. Let's stand together. Father, how we thank You for the price that was paid on the cross, that precious blood that was shed for the remission of sins. 
and how we thank you, Heavenly Father, for the reality of the resurrection. And to know this morning that the same Spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead is residing in us. And I just pray this morning that each one of us might take our hands off of our life, that we might surrender ourselves entirely into your care and follow you without hesitation, without reservation. That, Lord, that you might produce the fruit of the Spirit in our life and make us like Jesus. Heavenly Father, for that man or woman, maybe a boy or girl that's here this morning, they've never trusted Christ as their Savior. They don't have any hope of heaven in their heart. They have to live with the guilt of their sin every day. And that heavy burden is just pressing down upon them. And they're tired and weary, even in despair of life itself. Lord, help them to see this morning that there is hope. There is help to be found in Jesus. May they trust Him today before it's too late. For we beg it in His dear name. Amen.